here's here's what this this wise father, this lead, family leading father, whatever the is there an opposite of a patriarch? That's a good question. A root puller upper, something like that. Uh, anyways, here's what he says. I don't believe in passing on huge amounts of money. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Mark, hello. I'm having a very busy day. Before we get into it, is there anything you'd like to say? Tidbits, morsels, nuggets, Um, pebbles? Well, today's topic is going to be kind of one of our our down-the-middle classic. Kind of, we've covered it in the past. We're revisiting it because it's in the it's in, a, in the news. Uh, it's a stock that we're long in. Yeah, um, there's a lot going on that I think I could I could do some ranting about, but I don't think I'm going to. Oh. Um, okay. The only the only news item that I think is worth a mention, since we are ostensibly a finance podcast, is that today. Our government representatives are bickering over whether they will pay for the things that they have purchased. Ha! Uh, yes, and were the things that were the things that you buy cost money or not? So, imagine if you got a credit card and you ran up the bill to the limit, and you called the credit card company and said, "All right, in order to keep my life going, I'm going to need you to raise that limit." Um, and they said, okay, but in order to raise the limit, we're going to need you to spend another $20,000 on some other crap. And then, because that's what's happening. It's like whoever's in charge, they have the majority of the votes, but they don't have quite enough to do it all by themselves. So they say, well, we need to, in this case, get the Republicans on our side so that we can raise the debt ceiling. And the Republicans go, oh, this is an opportunity. Let's get all of our favorite spending programs because they all just want to spend money. And yes. And so despite the fact that we're running into this because we're not paying for the things we're buying, the only yes. way we can get people to agree to pay for the things they bought is to get them to also agree to buy more things they cannot afford. And it, yes. it seems to be headed for some sort of disaster. I just hope that it happens uh, after I am gone and when my children can use my inheritance to deal with the fallout. Oh, he's teeing it up with the use of the word inheritance. I'll just say on this whole issue, I did think of, I did think of the Abraham's wallet crew when I saw this news item and I have to come back to something that I like to say, which is the government doesn't have any money. It's not a for-profit outfit. It there's only one way that it has money, taking it from the populace. So everything it does doesn't cost it quote any money. It costs you and me money, and it costs future generations money because they don't have money. That's right. It drives me nuts. And then they want to tell us all that they're 
they got a sale. It's like when my my father, God bless him, comes back from, I don't know, the dollar store or Walmart with bags and bags of cheap discount candies and says, all this candy was on sale. So look how much money I saved. And we go, but we didn't need any candy. How much did you spend? $60, but it would have been 200 You didn't save us any money. You spent money. Anyways, this is the way our government thinks. They think they're saving us money, and then they want to brag about it as if it's a they're doing us a big favor. Nuts. It reminds me of we've done series on elders in the past. And what is what the clear biblical model is, if you can't run your own personal scene, you're not allowed to run anybody else's scene. If you can't keep your family in order, you're not allowed to start sticking your nose into other people's families and to quote Paul, um, to start trying to organize the family of faith. And we've got people who, <laughs> we're tr- they they are they promote themselves as if they can run the finances of the whole nation and they can't run the they can't run the budget of the smallest they can't run the budget of their office they can't run the painting budget to refresh their offices to get new curtains anyways it's nuts yes i i agree and i'm i'm quiet on this probably just because i feel like once i you know you you're maybe known as the ranter amongst the two of us but you know that I can rant. I just I would hap I would happily listen to you uncork a, a good couple of paragraphs about yeah, governmental it's just, irresponsibility. It's not the week, Stephen. Okay, you're gonna keep it. You're gonna keep it toned down. Yeah i I don't have I don't have the the vigor. Okay, <laughs> I'll try to be the energy guy. You just give us the goods when it's. I'm just showtime. here to talk about inheritance, and you okay. should do it. You you be Eeyore, I'll be Tigger. It's all right. Okay. This this mango kombucha that I'm having though, it's pepe. I, I think it's starting to to hit because it's making oh. it's making me feel a little bit jaunty and ready for for podcasting. Could you say you're having a love affair with the mango kombucha? Nope. Okay. <laughs> okay, fine. That, that that that's not the kind of word that you use casually. That's good. Okay. I don't know how our audience feels about this yet because they haven't heard this yet as I record this again, but I it, here comes another edition of Orator's Corner. I'm going to hear and and you groused a little bit about the the length of my Teddy Roosevelt speech, which I thought was rousing. Um, but I, this is one paragraph long, okay. so there's don't don't worry. This is Dorothy Sayers. Now, in, interestingly, this is Dorothy Sayers from 1947, and uh, she, she is an she's an author. She's not a not a leader of of countries or a leader of men just an author writes novels and stuff and essays and she wrote an essay called the lost tools of learning in 1947 you tell me as i read with the 
sweeping music going on behind me. If you, if you think this is applicable whatsoever to life in 2021, here, here's, here's just an excerpt from Dorothy Sayers at Oxford University in 1947. Listen to this. For we let our young men and women go out unarmed in a day when armor was never so necessary. By teaching them all to read, we have left them at the mercy of the printed word. By the invention of the film and the radio, we have made certain that no aversion to reading shall secure them from the incessant battery of words, words, words. They do not know what the words mean. They do not know how to ward them off or to blunt their edge or fling them back. They are a prey to words in their emotions instead of being the masters of them in their intellects. We who were scandalized in 1940 when men were sent to fight armored tanks with rifles are not scandalized when young men and women are sent into the world to fight massed propaganda with a smattering of subjects, and when whole classes and whole nations become hypnotized by the arts of the spellbinder, we have the impudence to be astonished. We dole out lip service to the importance of education, lip service, and just occasionally a little grant of money. We postpone the school-leaving age and plan to build bigger and better schools. The teachers slave conscientiously in and out of school hours, and yet, as I believe, all this devoted effort is largely frustrated because we have lost the tools of learning, and in their absence can only make a botched and piecemeal job of it. Now we can argue whether we still live in an age when the... Uh, teachers are faithfully slaving after their students and we really value value education but what Sayers is saying there is um, there's something like the the artistry and the the charm of a use of persuasive words but we don't have a populace that can think anymore that can take an argument apart and as I like what she says about they can ingest them they can't fling them back um, and and I, I feel that describes us. To be clear, she said masked propaganda, not mask propaganda, because this was written. <laughs> this was written quite a while before mask propaganda was a thing. That's true. Now and now there is mask propaganda. Also, this was prophetic on Dorothy's part back in 1947. All right, let's move to the subject at hand, shall we? I I texted you earlier saying that I caught yeah, this. And I just want to say I intentionally, maybe this is, maybe this is because I, I should be more up on things or I don't know. I did not investigate the prompt because I wanted to react in real time to what you said, which was something like, let's talk inheritance because of the Anderson Cooper thing. Right. So I, I am prepared to talk inheritance, but why don't you give give us the Anderson Cooper thing and I'll respond in real time. Okay. I I I first of all, I respect that. No problem with that. Um we want to we want to hear you cough and sputter when you hear these things. Mm. Um this is just, you know, this is an nbcchicago.com article, so it's going to be written at a 6th grade level. I'm going to I'm going to read the better part of it. It's not very long because people don't read anymore. So here, here's how it begins. Add Anderson Cooper to the list of the rich and famous who are publicly announcing 
that they won't be leaving their fortunes to their kids. I'll, I'll just say to preface, we'll, we'll get to Anderson in a second, but I'll just say to preface, when you talk about the, the bizarre world that this guy comes from, he's been a public figure his entire adult life. He, he has decided that he loves men and not women in a uh, Romans 1 kind of a fashion. And the, they, the article refers to him becoming a father in 2020. Um, let's just say that the person that he's living with, he can't become a father with that person. So they, they, they had to import a child somehow. And here's what he says. Here, here's what this, this wise father, this lead, family-leading father, whatever the... Is there an opposite of a patriarch? That's a good question. Uh, a root puller-upper? Something like that. <laughs> uh, anyways, here's what he says. I don't believe in passing on huge amounts of money. The 54-year-old said on the latest episode of the Morning Meeting podcast where he was promoting his new book on the Vanderbilts. I'm not that interested in money. I don't intend to have some sort of pot of gold for my son. Cooper reportedly earns around $12 million a year from CNN, according to Yahoo Finance, had previously said on Howard Stern's radio program that he believes large inheritances kill a person's drive to succeed. I think it's an initiative sucker, he said in 2014. I think it's a curse. <laughs> I'll try to leave my comments to the end. Cooper is far from alone on his view of inheritances. A recent survey of American millionaires found that nearly 70% were worried about the possibility of leaving too much money for their heirs, fearing the wealth would be, quote, used irresponsibly or that it would, quote, cause beneficiaries to be lazy. I say those are really valid concerns. Sorry, I, I, I didn't wait to the end to make that comment. Back to the article. Investor and O'Shares ETF's chairman, Kevin O'Leary, this is the Shark Tank guy, shared Cooper's outlook in a recent interview with CNBC Make It. Quote, you curse a child when you de-risk their lives by leaving them too much money, O'Leary said. No free lunch, he added. It's just the wrong thing to do. James Bond actor Daniel Craig and famed investor Warren Buffett both also expressed their opposition to leaving large amounts of money to their kids, with Craig saying he finds the practice distasteful. End of the article. I'll just make one observation, okay. and then I'm throwing it over to you. Okay. My one observation is that have you ever heard of a place um, in North Carolina called the Biltmore Estate? Yeah, you ever absolutely. Heard of that? Okay. Well, there's this family that used to live in that building. It's really not a house. It's more like um, a, a, an institution. It's more like the size of a hospital. But a family lived in this building. That family is called the Vanderbilts and they helped to build America that's Anderson Cooper's family so this is a guy who has been rolling in wads of money 
before he was out of the womb makes 12 million a year. I find it rich, if you'll allow me to use that word, to have him say, I'm not that interested in money. I find it to be outrageously out of touch, just like Daniel Craig is out of touch. And to find these people opining about whether they think an inheritance is a valid thing to leave to a child, I find it, I find the ironies rich. Okay, back over to you. Yeah, I, so I actually think, and I said this, so I'll just set this up for our listeners who are new to us on inheritance. We did some podcasts on inheritance, which was the the old version of Abraham's wallet where I read articles. Um, it received, I think I, I mentioned this frequently, but it was the recipient of our only three-star uh, <laughs> review. Uh, and there were some unkind words spoken about my narrating abilities. but um, Scant applause, a, a smattering of applause for the reading of articles. Yeah, there was something like less Mark, more Stephen. Uh, stop, uh-huh. stop reading things. I don't know, but that was your that was your favorite uh, a- Apple podcast comment ever. Um, it wasn't, but <laughs> I would say one of the things that I said in those articles that became narrated podcasts was that I actually think it's probably a pretty good thing that these people with no vision and no kind of yes. purpose behind their family think exactly the way that Anderson Cooper does because all of the data, there's a there's an article on the website uh, and a podcast called Inheritance Horror Stories and all of the data suggests that you leaving a bunch of money and that's it to your kid. If that's all you do, just here's a bunch of money, see you later. Um, they're going to have a bad time. Uh, it's it's not good, and it, it leads to many different types of disaster. We looked at people who had gotten lottery winnings and lump sums of all sorts and inherited big companies, and they all end up uh, screwed. So I don't think that... This article doesn't make me go, oh, what? he should be doing it the way we're about to talk about doing it. I don't think that at all. I think he should be getting rid of his money and not ruining his children's lives so that they at least have a fighting chance. Um, so I don't know if that's, that's the re- fair. That may not be the reaction you wanted, but that's the that's. No, it's just it's just something to react to. So I think that's a great reaction. So I just want a really quick review of why we think inheritance can be uh, a multi-generational source of blessing and goodness for a family, okay? Um, let, let me just establish this before we go on, because you, you make a great point there, which is people who, who don't, they don't know what money's for, if, if I can be so bold as to say, at least they don't know what the Bible has to say about money then it's great for them to get it out of the hands of their children, I guess, is what is what you're saying. Um, but as you're saying that, it's making me think, wow. Yeah, so if every kind of um, lost gazillionaire threw their money just back into the pot, um, it reminded me, as you're saying that, of Isaiah 60, 
which I quickly looked up and says, um, your gate, this is, this is a, this is a word from God. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations. And he's talking about Israel, but the idea is, um, (laughs) these people are going to forfeit blessings that you're not going to forfeit. And if we haven't said this recently enough, we don't believe that money is itself an evil thing. The Bible tells us over and over that the accumulation of wealth is a blessing. Of course, your heart can gravitate toward it in an evil way, but we don't believe that having less is somehow noble or holy. So God repeatedly, just like in Isaiah 60 there, says that for you to receive the wealth of the nations, he's saying to Israel, will be because of his work. So for whatever it's worth, there, there's something about um, people outside of his um, kingdom and the thought, the, the, the ways of thinking of his kingdom, jettisoning, the, jettisoning their wealth that the Lord would go, yeah, that you're right on schedule. That's fine. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like we have to go back to, to the aha moment that made me even want to, to think about inheritance in order to have a good conversation about why you might consider not doing what Anderson Cooper's doing because I've run into pushback since we started talking about inheritance where people go, yeah, yeah, you have a family vision, but we've seen plenty of great fathers lead families and three or four generations down the line, all it takes is one knucklehead and it all goes poof. And that's true. So um, you can be as, as conscientious and follow the Lord with a hundred percent of everything you've got. And you're not going, that alone is not going to prevent you from, uh, having someone down your line that botches it. So, um, I was, I was reading the book of Joshua a couple years ago and the book of Joshua in my reading is really the story of Israel, uh, walking into their inheritance and it's full of violence and it's, there's, there's wins and losses for Israel. They do things right. And then they completely screw it up. Uh, but, but the, the meta narrative is this nation that has been promised something as an inheritance. That's the language that the scripture uses. They, they don't, they don't just get it deposited in their account and they wake up one day and go, sweet, let's go get a, a cool car. Uh, they actually have to walk through the book of Joshua, uh, which this process starts before the book of Joshua, but the book of Joshua is them trying to go ahead and claim the inheritance that they have been promised. Um, So in Joshua 14, we see that every one of the tribes received an inheritance except for one. And that was the Levites. And I read that and it says, the Levites received no share of the land, but only cities to live in with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound like they received nothing. It sounds like they received cities and pastures and flocks and herds. Um, 
So it's very interesting to me that they got no inheritance, but they got cities, pastures, and livestock. So that sounds like a considerable inheritance, right? Um, right. Joshua 21 is an entire chapter devoted to describing the cities that were supposed to be set aside for the Levites out of the inheritance of the rest of Israel. So what I took from this is that inheritance cannot just be the stuff that you get. That's not what mm. inheritance is. Otherwise, the Levites would have an inheritance. Mm. Um, so while they did get stuff to provide for their needs, these resources were not actually supposed to convey an identity for that tribe. Um, the Levites were supposed to be set aside. Their identity was entirely around the service to the Lord that they had as the priestly uh, tribe. Um, so for the average Israelite, on the other hand, their identity was absolutely tied to the productive resources that they had gotten as an inheritance. Their entire day from their labor to their worship to their family building activities was structured around the cultivation and expansion of their inheritance, which came from prior generations. And ultimately, as we see in the book of Joshua, it came directly from the Lord as he handed them land to, to take in the form of the promised land. So I kind of have some, some hallmarks of what biblical inheritance is. And if you've listened to this, you've heard me say this before, but uh, the first one is that inheritance is tied to identity. Um, and that's why we're so big here on family vision and what is your identity? You know, that's another way of saying family vision is you've got some identity that is uniquely manual family. These are the things we do and they go back beyond just the things mom and dad came up with at the dinner table one night when we got excited about a little vision workshop. We can look back generations and say, these are unique traits of our family. Um, and I am going to posit that even in our modern era, you can design inheritances that are tied to whatever that family identity is even today. Um, the, uh, the next one is that I, inheritance is productive. Uh, so again, thinking of the Israelites, if they had been given this land and they had gotten it and they had just been like, sweet, let's just spend the fat of the land. Well, maybe there's some livestock on there that they could have eaten for maybe a generation. Uh, but that's going to be pretty useless to them. So in order to squeeze the juice out of the inheritance that they got, they had to go out and work and produce with the inheritance that, that they were given. Right. Land does not just yield wealth, especially in a place like ancient Israel, where you can't go sell it to a developer who wants to build an apartment complex on it. They had to work it and get, you know, produce out of it and things like that. Uh, so it's not just a pile of consumable stuff, that, which is what we tend to think of. I'm sure that's what Anderson Cooper is thinking of when he thinks, I'm not going to hand an inheritance down. I'm not just going to give my kid some pile of money to go spend. Um, right. And then the last one is just that I think inheritance always requires uh, claiming or persistence and cultivating. So again, the book of Joshua is... These now this is my favorite point of yours. Okay. Is is how you is how you get it because 
you know, Kevin O'Leary said um, that inheritance is de-risking your children's lives, which I take umbrage with because I think, first of all, the greatest risks in life aren't financial, number one. And number two, giving your child an inheritance that has responsibility built into it and has work built into it is certainly not de-risking their lives. As a matter of fact, you raise the stakes on, are, can you successfully carry that thing forward? Can you expand the family assets? Can you expand the family vision? Can you take the kingdom forward in your, your generation? It's not riskless. So anyways, uh, t- t- I'm sorry for interrupting. No, tell no, tell us great. more about how you, how you make, them, how you make a, a child claim that thing. Well, I think that the the way I get there is I look at Israel and the fact that they, it, you know, this is one of the big gotcha questions that you'll get around Old Testament study is why did they have to kill every woman and child and cow in the <laughs> of land? Course. Um, and there, there was multiple times where the Lord stopped Israel from progressing through into the full promised land because they didn't obey. And so he was interested in actually uh, rooting out disobedience as they advanced and and came into this inheritance that they had been promised. Um, He was very serious. The Lord was very serious about seeing the inheritance claimed in the exact fashion that he told them it would need to be claimed. And he didn't tolerate, he didn't tolerate even one person in the camp deviating from that plan. Um, and so once they, once they get in there, uh, it's not just like, Oh, we did it. We fought all the battles. Uh, I think there were 14 major battles in the process of moving through into the promised land. Uh, but in his final speech to the nation, an elderly about to die, Joshua tells Israel that, now look, you're here. If you start marrying all the peoples around you, uh, what you have received will be taken away from you. So uh, that's an interesting twist on this, that it's, um, you know, to, to Kevin O'Leary's comment that you're de-risking. Israel didn't seem to be just hunky-dory after they received this inheritance of promised land. They were surrounded by enemies, and as any Bible reader, casual Bible reader knows, they didn't do well on this don't marry the people around you command. And they suffered the consequences. They were dragged off to foreign lands with hooks in their behinds several times. Um, So there was a persistence that was required. And lastly, I already kind of mentioned it, but cultivation. Um, if, If your inheritance in a world with no uh, financial markets was a field of dirt. Uh, My hunch is that most of even us would go, well, what do I do with this? Uh, I'm going to have to learn how to be a farmer now. And so that's what I love about the whole identity uh, tied to inheritance is that you can think about the identity your family has and you can pass assets on that force that identity to be realized if they're going to have any value out of the inheritance. Uh, and that's what happened in not just Israel. This was the ancient model is you get you get a, an inheritance and if you want it to be worth jack squat, you're going to have to turn it into that with some some elbow grease and sweat. 
So that's my that's my thesis on biblical inheritance. Well, those are great. Uh, there's a great principles. Can you practicalize those a little bit? Give us an example of how a modern person can do those three things. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about, well, we do financial management and we have a lot of people that as they get older, they start to look at their accounts and go, I don't think I'm going to need all this money that I've got. So what do I do? Uh, you've kind of talked about an inheritance of a pile of cash being bad. Um, I don't think it's always a recipe for disaster to have financial assets as a piece of the inheritance puzzle. But, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the people that we talk to either through here or through our work will talk about, I want to do a life starter fund for my kid. Um, Ten years ago, before all universities went completely off the rails, almost everybody thought, well, I want to pay for college because that that is a great way to kind of give my kids some tools. It's not it's, sure in some ways it really does fit this, this model of, well, if I could give you an education that's worth $150,000, um, I'll probably do you a bigger favor than if I handed you $150,000 yes. uh, be, because you're going to have to work to turn that into value for your family. That's what I was going to say. It also, it, it assumes a lot of work. Yeah. Um, now I still we we've promised to have the education debate on here someday maybe we will. Um, yes. I still think there's a place for education to be an inheritance vehicle um, as government-run schools continue to devolve for non-college education. I would also say we've talked about five two nine plans for example and. As 529 plans become less interesting for college savings, in my mind, they become more interesting to fund uh, private education, even homeschool expenses. Here, here. For your grandkids, though, uh, because, yes, you know, we might as well grow those for a generation before we... Um, before we deploy the money so of course imagine there's a imagine there's a parrot family education fund nobody ever has to contribute to it and it's going to take care of what whatever kind of private christian slash homeschooling education anybody will ever have down your generational lines doesn't matter how many kids you have that'll all be taken care of because there's this fund sitting there that is the parrot family education fund that sounds awesome to me yeah and you know i have clients that we have partnered up with estate lawyers and they've got piles of cash right um but they don't want to just say well i guess i'll just split it up according to however many kids i have and this is where some like-minded attorneys can come in and actually create some cool structures that say, here is the family vision. Now, if you have enough money, you can create a family office or a family foundation. Uh, but um, there's legal vehicles that you can actually use cash to fund something that says this money can be used for these types of things. Um, you know, even down to very small amounts of money, uh, donor advised funds that can be inherited and used for giving, uh, for future generations. Uh, if you, so I think if your family is a, a family that has generosity in your, in your family vision, it's pretty cool to think about what if you inherited 
a fund that was beyond your wildest dreams as a 25 year old and you were told it's your responsibility to give this out wisely um i i think i think that's awesome and huge and i think if you're a multi-millionaire if you're a daniel craig or an anderson cooper that's a must is that you put giving into the hands of the next generation and you train them to think as strategic givers how can we change the world according to our family vision for the kingdom of god with a pile of money how do we how do we put it to work i think that's incredible yeah I mean, giving again, we've talked about this a bunch. Giving has got to be the the number one easiest way to train kids when it comes to money. Um, because it's just delightful to see how creative they can be when you say, hey, we have, I don't know, we do this in Lodo Feb. We saved $1,000 this month from our normal budget. Let's talk about how we want to give it out. And some of the suggestions they come up with are creative and unique and good. And other ones are absolutely horrible. And we get to th- nah. we get to talk through that. But it's such a good training ground for, okay, this is what our family's about. So does this opportunity make sense? Well, that doesn't sound like us. So no, but this one over here does. Um, so giving, that's great. Giving is a way uh, to do that. So, um, through trusts, through giving, those are some ways that cash can be a really valuable inheritance. But I think for most of our listeners, we start to think about that productive asset that requires work. Um, That's part of why we're so big on family businesses. Um, Right now, the fact that you can get a step up in basis on inherited assets means if you start a business with very little money and pass it on. Um, and depending on the structure of the business, you might be able to have your kids inherit that and not have to pay a bunch of taxes on it. Um, that could be changing very soon, but uh, for right now, um, businesses make fantastic inheritance vehicles. And I don't think that it means if you're a financial planner, your kids have to be financial planners. Um, they just need to know that this is one of the family resources and it generates right money that can be used to fund the family vision um right at the same time i think you can do this in a way that's very bad for your kids where you just have a business that spits out a check every every year and they go well that thing just gives me a hundred thousand dollars every year and i don't really (laughs) know what it does so if you think if you think there's any chance that you're working on a business that your kids could inherit um this is something Jeremy Pryor talked about when I was with him a few weeks ago, uh, was you need to be involving your kids in your work. He kind of blew my mind and said, if you have a six-year-old, that's the perfect age to have them at your work for one full day every week. Um, and we could maybe get into that. I've been starting to experiment with it a little bit, but um, that's great. The idea is demystifying work that your family does and having it not just be what I kind of thought as a kid. Well, dad goes to work and does business. I have no idea yes. what that means. Um, right. If you have a family business, even if it's your side hustle and you, you know, cut grass on Saturday mornings for 10 families. Um, make sure your kids are seeing the labor you're putting into that. And I think yeah, that that's, that's a great way to prime the pump that they don't turn 20 and you kick the bucket and they get this, this 
business asset and go, well, I guess this is just like the same as stocks. It'll have an impact on them if they saw mom and dad putting like passion and sweat into the thing that, that they now True. are in charge of. Um, True. And then another one that we like is real estate. Um, real estate assets tend to maintain their value over time. Uh, they, if, have you ever owned a rental property of any kind, Stephen? Yes, I have, my friend Mark. Did, I have. did it take work to make it productive? Yes, it did. And even with a lot of work, uh, Mark, I, I wouldn't say it was productive. It, but it was a learning experience, but I wouldn't say it was a great success. It was just a lot of work. Yes. Uh, I, I also have had the experience of owning real estate that went pretty well and real estate that was like a disaster. And I felt that both was, was good for me. But uh, I, I think real estate, you know, if you had the choice of buying your kid a house when they turn, when they get married, let's say, or handing them a small apartment building or duplex that had the same value, let's say, as a house that you that they might have wanted to live in. Uh, I would have a bias towards let's buy the thing that, that is a productive asset and that they're going to have to go out and fix some faucets and and actually work on it. That's a great idea. To make it valuable. Um, you know, I was talking to a family the other day who said, we're not sure about college, but could we buy... Uh, and try to pay off uh, investment real estate so that each child would have a paid off property when they got to school and they could choose to sell it and go to school or they could choose to work on it and and have some income that could fund other ventures like lots of options there hmm. that makes you think like what if you could buy a fixer-upper fourplex and that when they turn 25, here's this thing. This could be really worth a lot of money, yeah. but you're going to have to, you're going to have to work. We got to say though, that this sounds stupid to those of our clients or listeners who are in, uh, in California and increasingly in Utah, it sounds really reasonable if you live in the Ohio Valley. So, um, I, I think it here, kind here. of depends on where you're at, whether the, you know, a, sure, a fourplex sure. in one place is a $200,000 acquisition and another place it's $2 million acquisition. Yeah. And maybe, maybe for the sake of, uh, inheritance, you want to move out of a stupid place to live. That might, that might be an option. Yeah. But you guys are leaving Ohio. Ah, uh, I was wondering what you're going to do with that comment. Uh, that's, that's a bad, bad marketing on my part. I liked it. Our, I looked at our analytics the other day and, and Cincinnati is still the number one Abraham's wallet market in the country. So rock on, I apologize to my Cincinnatians. Very good. Well, uh, we're, we're at wrap up time. So I appreciate your thoughts on, uh, Anderson Cooper and, uh, the rich of the world kicking their money back into the on in the pool of commerce and the uh, righteous putting aside an inheritance wisely wisely <clears throat> for children who are prepared to receive it can i can i wrap this up with a little uh bible -y stuff please do you take it from all here. right so 
I think inheritance, just like everything we talk about on this podcast, their money is a training ground and it's actually important. It's important to get money right. Um, it's not the point. Um, but we, you know, when we see a biblical principle, like the one I was talking about in Joshua, we want to put it into practice with money. Um, but once we figure that out and kind of work on that and get it right, uh, we get to see and understand a much bigger principle. So Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says this, and uh, I'll kind of wrap up with this. It says, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I say it's important to understand what the Bible means from end to end if you want to understand what Paul thinks is probably the best picture he can paint of what we get in Christ, which is an inheritance. Amen. And I was going to close it there, but I see that you're holding up some Stan Smith Adidas or something. In Are you sneaker collecting over there? No, I just have these shoes. I'm changing clothes. I have to rush away to a coach of volleyball practice. Oh, all right. Well, I'll let you go. But uh, that, that's all. That's all I've got this week, Stephen. Okay. I guess I'll talk to you next well, week. Well, thanks. Great thoughts and great wrap up. Good passage from Ephesians. Thank you very much. See you around. Bye.